0: Well, speaking of building, last week I had the privilege to share with you that uh, after our recent bold faith commitments that we uh, looked at again in the month of July and August, we were able to come together as a financial stewardship team and analyze the situation at hand and realize that through the faithfulness of God's people, we had met the financial goals that we had established in order to be able to move forward with our project and start now and go to meet with the bank to finalize the terms and definitions of what that would look like and start pursuing after the permitting process. And so I ask you to first off I want to say thanks and praise the Lord. What an exciting time for our church that we're in the moving mode now, finally. Yes. Yeah. And so, in addition to that, I ask you to be praying for this because we were going to pray for specific pray specifically that we would get very favorable terms with our bank and with the lending situation, but also for this permitting process, because sometimes those things can take forever, but uh, we're going to trust God that that will not be the case, and so we're excited today to see what all God's going to do, and uh, I will report back to you as I know things as they progress, but just be patient, because these things all take time, and uh, so, but man, God is good. I don't know about you, but i love me reading the memoirs of people that have can give testimony of the grace of God in their life or the hand of God operative in their life. Oftentimes when someone passes away there's a Bible that's got a lot of writing in it and you get to read through the pages and marginal notes where someone has written dates and times and moments or occasions where they really saw God do something great and they might have even written a prayer in the margin and I love those things because it just gives a great testament to the power of God, the hand of God, and just us to know the grace that has been ministered. And so when we study this phrase in scripture, the hand of God, and I mention that because it's in our study of the book of Ezra, where we will be again today. The hand of God was on Ezra's wife. And Ezra is now writing his, this book called Ezra in our Bible and gives us his memoir. Then we get to look into things that were taking place in his life when God put his hand on him, called him out uniquely to go back from the place that they were, which was in exile, to go reestablish temple worship. About 60 years previous, a whole group of people went back and rebuilt the physical building of the temple. And now this time has come. It's time to send Ezra back with all of the servants and the Levites and those that will help make the uh, the activities that take place in the temple building, the worship, send them back to reestablish this the way it was designed to be by God. But Ezra received a letter from a king that will give him the authority to do this. But he describes this entire event as he knows the hand of God is on him. That, that phrase, hand of God, is fascinating to study in scripture because you see the hand of God on someone. Where power is distributed there You can see power and authority You can see God's hand against people When, when the hand of God was against a the nation, they, they were conquered We see God's hand When it came to Jesus on this planet It was the hand of healing that touched People, it was the hand that was giving Favor, there was hands of victory There was hands of provision, the hand of direction And I bet each of us that At our Christian life Can look at how God has ministered with his hand on us. So the question is, I guess when you observe this in the Bible, does God's hand come on you and then leave you? We often pray for this, that God's hand would be on the doctors today, that God's hand would be on someone who's traveling. Well, what are we asking for here specifically? We're asking by faith that God would intervene and take the natural to be supernatural. We're asking by faith for God to do something there. Now, when we look at this aspect of the hand of God, it's very unique in Scripture because we know that our Lord Jesus Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. When we're asking for the hand of God, we're literally asking for the Lord Jesus Christ ministry in our life. This is really cool to think about the fact that God has given us the instruction in scripture that to do not fear don't be dismayed why because the lord surely he will help you surely he will strengthen you surely he will uphold you with his righteous right hand of power well who is that right hand it is the lord jesus christ in the right hand and you know what's amazing about this is God is designed for all glory to be brought through Jesus Christ, Lord, that He would get the credit, He would get all the glory of things that happen in the church. Amen. According to the book of Ephesians. When we're talking and asking God for His hand, to be honest, it is literally the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, the power of the Spirit of God that lives in you, that is operative in your life. It is why the Apostle Paul prayed in the New Testament. In the book of Ephesians, we see his prayer. Praying that the church at Ephesus would understand the incredible power of God that is in their life. And he said, you have the resurrection power. The same power that resurrected Jesus Christ from the dead is in you. And God has put his hand on your life. And God is guiding you by his hand. Even as Caleb prayed this morning, that in the midst of a situation at the hospital, is very distressful. That God would just impart his wisdom there. What we're going to see in scripture here in a moment, that is the hand of God operative in people's lives. And I bet all of us can sit around and explain and give all kinds of stories of how God's hand has been present in your life. What are we talking about? We're talking about the presence of the Spirit of God in God's ministry of grace and mercy and direction and provision and finances and whatever needed in a moment God provided that. As a matter of fact, as your community groups meet together, I encourage you to have that conversation but just pose that question and uh, how have you seen the hand of God operative in your life, even in the last week or the last month? Where maybe God did something that you could divinely see that? Of course, He is there every day with us. There is no time when God leaves us nor forsakes us. He promised His ever presence and He indwells us by His Spirit. But there are definitely times where you know God intervened in a way that, well, that was impossible. Well, that's the moment we're talking about here in Ezra. God intervenes in a moment that's impossible. That a pagan king would give a letter to this man who is a scribe and priest of Israel and send him back with authority, with people, and with an exorbitant amount of resources to be able to reestablish temple worship.
1: When you're talking
0: about a king, we're not talking about a man who's a God follower We can track this man's faith. No, we're talking about a pagan king who is a conqueror, and he's trying to make sure he's got everything in order to keep his kingdom in the most prosperous manner possible. He had worked out Artaxerxes is his name. Artaxerxes had worked out all kinds of deals with nations around him, and whenever a nation was about to oppose him, he would work out negotiations with the surrounding nations and pay money. To make sure he's got all of his allegiances and alliances in order to be sure they're protected. Well, in this case, he's now sending Ezra back to establish worship to a God that we don't really even know how much our knows of the God of heaven. But the one thing he does know this. I don't want the hand of the God of heaven against me. And I've seen how the God of heaven, when his hand is with you, the power that comes with that. And he's like, I want to invest in that. And we get today today, observe this letter now written from Ezra of what exactly took place. Ezra chapter 7 verse 11 says, This is a copy of the letter that King Artaxerxes gave Ezra the priest, the scribe, expert in the words of the commandments of the Lord and of his statutes to Israel. Now I'll just tell you, we're getting ready to read a letter, it's 2,500 years old, from a pagan king, to a Jewish scribe, priest. You're like, well, what does this have to do with my life, my family, the Chiefs game, tomorrow i got to go to work. What does this have to do with anything? It has everything. Because God tells his story repeatedly throughout Scripture of what he's doing and what he's doing with you and with me. If you take this whole scene from the book of Ezra chapter 7 and just overlay it on top of what we have been commissioned by Jesus Christ to do as Christ followers, it's just a perfect template. So I'm going to try to liken these two things at the exact same time as we study this letter out today. Verse 12 of Ezra chapter 7, Artaxerxes, king of kings, to Ezra the priest, a scribe of the law of God of heaven, perfect peace, and so forth. I a decree that all those of the people of Israel and the priests and the Levites in my realm who volunteer to go up to Jerusalem may go with you. Now note, Ezra is the priest. I showed you this last week. In the New Testament, we are called the priesthood of believers. Ezra is also a scribe, meaning he is a preserver of the word. You and I are stewards of the word of God. We study it, we learn it, we pass it to the next generation. We are considered New Testament scribes. He is now being sent with this law of the God of heaven to go back to Jerusalem, but here, anyone who volunteers to go with you can also go. This is not a mandate of the king that every one of you people that are Jewish need to pack up and go. If you volunteer, you're more than than able. All of us are also called into volunteers into the army of God. Many are called, few are chosen. What does that even mean? God, the call of God goes out to all, but only those who respond to the call of God are chosen unto salvation. Because not everybody responds to the calling of God. But the call goes out to all. All who volunteer, you're more than welcome to go up to Jerusalem if you wish. And we are volunteers. We responded by the Spirit of God moving in our life. We responded to the word of God. When the proclamation of the gospel came to your ears and mine, I hear this truth, I probably heard it over and over and over, but on a particular day when I was about 10 years old, it connected. It connected in my heart. The Spirit of God, I know this, was convicting me of my sin, that I realized I was a sinner separate from God because of sin. I needed a Savior, and I can't save myself. I didn't even understand the grasp of the gospel completely, but the Spirit of God now helps me to see this, that I I see myself as a sinner. I need a Savior, and Jesus is the Savior. He died to pay my sin debt and rose again from the grave. And by faith, I trusted Him. I voluntarily came to the Lord. The Lord does not impose Himself on us and mandate you do that. No, it's an invitation, all who come whosoever will is the term that's often used. Whoever believes on him will have everlasting life. If we confess our sins and uh, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness, it's 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 voluntary. We're invited by God into a relationship, a personal, intimate relationship with the creator of heaven and earth. You just absorb that for the creator of heaven and earth says, whosoever will." It's hard to grasp. Why would anyone say no? Unbelief. I don't believe you're God. I don't believe in this man Jesus that he's actually the son of God. To say that that hey, I don't believe in the Bible because it's written by sinful men and guys. how can you trust it? In all kinds of reasons, but all of those reasons are rooted in pride because it resists the creator of heaven and earth, and I want to be my own God. That's really the root of the struggle. A volunteer, volunteer in this case, is saying no to Babylon and yes to Jerusalem. I want to go where God's at work, and I want to join him there. That's where I want to be. But it was a voluntary move. In verse 14, And whereas you are being sent, these volunteers, along with Ezra, are now being sent by the king and his seven counselors to inquire concerning Judah and Jerusalem with regard to the law of your God, which is in your hand. I love this because just as they were sent, we are sent ones. The term sent one means apostle in the New Testament, but we are sent by our Lord Jesus Christ. How is that so? Because the Great Commission, when Jesus called us into this relationship with him, it wasn't that we just come and plop down and sit, wait for heaven. Instead, he commissions us and sends us into the world. And he sends us by his power into this world. And he tells us this, that all power is given unto me, both in heaven and in earth. Go, therefore, based on that power and make disciples of all nations. And baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then teach them to observe everything I've commanded you, and I am with you always. We are sent. We are sent into our community, into our workplaces, all the places we go, plus sent around the world, which is why we engage with mission partners. And then many of us in this room have traveled abroad to take the gospel to other lands. And we're constantly asking God, God, where would you open a door that you would want us to be, whether that's right here in a school district or in a community or stretching into another county or wherever God would put us. We don't care. We just want to be where God's at work and go where he tells us to go because we are sent by him with his word. Ezra's got the word of God in hand. He says it's in regard with the law of God, which is in your hand. So he's a sent one with the word in hand But he's also sent with these seven counselors. This is fascinating, just the consistency of the Bible. But he's sent with seven counselors. In Isaiah chapter 11, this is an incredible prophetic statement here by Isaiah. There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. We know this is the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse two, the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom, understanding, the spirit of counsel might, mind, the spirit of knowledge, the fear of the Lord. Now this is awesome. Notice this is the spirit, capital spirit, person of God. And there are seven listed in this text. Now Ezra's being sent with seven counselors, by the king, with the word, with volunteers. But notice these seven counselors: the spirit of the Lord, the spirit of wisdom, the spirit of understanding, the spirit of counsel, the spirit of might, the spirit of knowledge, and the spirit of the fear of the Lord. Seven counselors. Now, just think about this. Earlier, when Caleb prayed. For the Brownwood family. What do he pray for? Wisdom. Lord, grant wisdom in that moment for families that's making decisions that are very hard to make, for doctors and nurses and people that are tending to a family and that they would use their skills for wisdom. You know what ask asking for? Is the power of the living God to show up in a mighty way in the spotlight? difficult what is it it's the hand of God And every the hand of God is with us always dwelling in us but this is the spirit of God that we get to see in Ezra's life now going with him all the way back on a, about a five and a half month long journey to get back to Jerusalem and not only is he going now with the Word of God with seven counselors with volunteers and he's doing exactly what God is now sending him to do through the mouth of the king but now he's also going to steward a lot of stuff this is us this is our life we are stewards of the living God being sent ones makes us ambassadors we know this according to 2nd Corinthians 5 that we are ambassadors of the living God we are as ambassadors representing him in every aspect of life but we are to reconcile the lost man to the Lord Jesus Christ is the reconciler. That he's commissioned us to reconcile the lost to the Savior. And we are sent by God to do so. And we steward our king's resources as we go. In verse 15 it says, And whereas you are to carry the silver and the gold, which the king and his counselors have freely offered to the God of Israel, whose dwelling is in Jerusalem. And whereas all the silver and the gold that you may find in all the province of Babylon along with the free will offering of the people and the priests, are to be freely offered for the house of their God in Jerusalem. Haggai the prophet, when he was speaking to Israel about this exact moment or this exact situation, he reminded him, he said it, that the silver is mine and the gold is mine, says the Lord. All these resources that King Artaxerxes is giving now to Ezra, who does it really belong to? It belongs to God. And now it's going to be put into the stewardship of Ezra and the people that are now going with him. Now you think about this, you and I are stewards of God, meaning we have been placed into management. We manage our king's resources. Paul described this as the management of the gospel. He said that that the gospel was placed into his trust as a minister. So I am now a manager of the gospel message of Jesus Christ, and how I dispense that is how I honor the Lord. I manage my time. I manage the life that God's given to me. I manage the resources that God places in me. I become a a channel of his blessing because all of the stuff belongs to God, and he's designed it for us to flow through his people, his righteous right hand jesus who gets all the glory and all the credit so here's what's amazing as you and i serve the lord and dispense his resources and share with people the things that god has given to us because it all belongs to him who gets all the credit from that it's not designed for us to get the credit No, it's the lord jesus christ gets all the credit he gets all the glory here's what's really amazing is watching the vernacular of the New Testament in light of this silver and gold let's just see 1 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 10 says this according to the grace of God which was given to me as a wise master builder I have laid the foundation and another builds on it but let each one take heed how he builds on it for no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid which is Jesus Christ now If anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, well, each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it. Because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If his work is burned up, he suffers loss but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. And here's what Paul's describing. It's kind of a construction scene. Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone. He's the foundation. The apostles build on this foundation with him. We then come along as wise master builders, building upon this foundation that's already been laid. And what we build upon it really matters. And so he uses these items, silver, gold, and precious jewels, along with wood, hay, straw. And you have to ask the question, which one of those can stand under flame and still exist? Well, obviously the wood, hay, and straw, poof, they're gone. They're the temple things. But then you have the gold, silver, and precious jewels. Those things get under fire and they can withstand heat. It's why our faith is always likened unto gold and silver being purified in a furnace. These things last forever. They're eternal in value. Our investments that we make in eternal things are the work that lasts on forever. So let's just put it in simple terms. If I invest all of my time, talents, and treasures in temporal things, that fire, it would consume it all. There's nothing to show for it when it's over in the heavenlies. The scripture says that in the moment when all of these things are tested by the fire of God, if I have nothing left there, I suffer loss. But if it stands the test of the fire of God because it's investments of time, talents, treasures, in the eternal things, well, now that can stand under the test of fire. And what happens? Then God renders reward. Now, he makes it clear, if anyone's work and which he has built endures, he receives reward. If anyone's work is burned up, He suffers loss, but he himself will be saved. Now, listen, this is not at the judgment seat of Christ is what's being described here where believers are brought before the Lord. It is designed to be the place of reward. But if we become Christians and live our life for temporal things and invest in temporal things and everything is about temporal. Well, at the judgment seat of Christ, there's no reward. Do I lose my salvation? No. It teaches that very distinctly. He himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. Though the fire is going to consume the work and there's nothing left. But you're still saved. The sadness is, at that judgment seat of Christ, where a place of reward could have been, instead it turns into the place of loss, where I consume my life with temporal things Just trying to make another buck, just trying to take care of the house, trying to take care of everything and keep everything moving. And that becomes the consummation of my life is just trying to keep it all afloat. As opposed to calling time out and saying, "Ah, you know what, I'm a steward of God's resources. Lord, these are the things you put in my hand to be in charge of and be responsible for How do you want me to invest your things? He's a steward, Ezra was of the silver and the gold. He's a steward of sacrifices. Now, therefore, verse seventeen: Be careful. This is King Artaxerxes telling him this. Be careful to buy with this money bulls and rams and lambs with their grain offerings and their drink offerings and offer them on the altar of the house of your God in Jerusalem. These, this type of offering would be the offerings of the sacrifices of thanksgiving and praise. These are free will offerings. The compulsory offerings were, of course, if we've trespassed against God, maybe we need to make that right now, and an offering was made that way. But in this case, these are offerings that are made just to say thanks and praise because God. You're awesome. And we do the same as the priesthood of believers. We give the sacrifice of praise and of thanksgiving to our God. I spoke into that a lot last week. Next, in verse 18. And whatever seems good to you and your brethren to do with the rest of the silver and the gold, do it according to the will of your God. Now watch what you just said. And all the rest, whatever's left in the silver and the gold, after you've done all your stuff you need to do and you've bought the offerings you need to buy and take care of business, there's still some left. What do I do with that? What's the same I would ask with any of us? What do I do with all that? Because we all have leftover in some respects. We take care of the things that God's given us to take care of. First fruit would be taking care of God's things first. Take care of the temporal things next. What about the rest? Use it according to the will of God. Well, how do I know what the will of God is on the matter? Talk to the seven counselors. They know. The Spirit of the living God knows. Lord, what would you like me to use this for? And he will direct your steps and put it in place for you to be able to see it plainly. You can go to the word of God and know this, that when we, we can be confident, when we ask things according to the will of God, he hears us and then he answers these prayers. So when I'm asking God, I want your will to be done with the resources you've given to me. What do you want me to do? And I'm not just talking about money. It's the totality of our life. Lord, what do you want me to do? When we pray that prayer, he will guide your steps. He will open doors. He will grant the power. Why? Because the seven counselors are with you. That spirit of the Lord of wisdom and understanding and knowledge and power. And he's with you. So, of course, he's going to direct you to guide the resources that he's granted to your hand. And verse 19, steward the service items. Also, the articles that are given to you for the service of the house of your God deliver in full before the God of Jerusalem. And whatever more may be needed for the house of your God, which you may have occasion to provide, pay for it from the king's treasury. And Artaxerxes flipping the bill for everything else they could possibly need in the service inside the temple. And there's a lot of stuff that they use between all the the gold and the silver dishes, it sacrifices, there's tools, there's resources that must happen. But here's what's cool about this. There's an accountability that is just spoken into Ezra's life. The things that are given to you, deliver in full. The king has now stated, deliver what I've given in full. And perform that which I've given And I will tell you, there will be an account of these things later in this chapter, in this book, that we can examine the account that is given. And we will all give an account of our lives before the Lord. But in verse 20, he said, in whatever is needed, here comes the king saying, whatever you need, we'll pay for it out of the king's account. This sounds exactly like what Paul told the church of Philippi when he wrote him a letter when they were giving to mission and so that the gospel could be furthered. And he told him, he said that my God can supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. He can do this according to the riches and glory. So can any of you begin to quantify and put a number to the riches and glory of the lord distributed by christ jesus no it's because my god shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by christ jesus whatever is needed god will supply as faithful followers of god We take this commission as sent ones, word of God in hand, and now God gives us the responsibility to steward his resources, and whatever you need, I'll take care of it. Put it on my account. Well, how much? Just put it on my account. I I can cut it. God also gave, through Ezra, now from the king Artaxerxes, security in verse 21. And I, even I, Artaxerxes the king, issue a decree to all the treasures who are in the region beyond the river, that whatever Ezra the priest, the scribe of the law of God of heaven, may require of you, let it be done diligently. I love that. Whatever Ezra needs, do that. Verse 22, he gives a big list of all the stuff. And by the way, when you run the numbers, we're talking four tons of gold. Four tons. Verse 23, whatever is commanded by the God of heaven, Let it diligently be done for the house of the God of heaven. Now you kind of get into the motive behind our exertsies here. For why should there be wrath against the realm of the king and his sons? I want everything for the God of heaven to be done. I don't want his hand against me. I don't want to experience his wrath by making it hard for his people. You know, this is a blessing to know. We feel like oftentimes that so much comes against us as Christ followers, and we do face persecution in this world. There's no question. In fact, there are probably more people today. I've seen a lot of statistics about this. More people give their lives for the gospel sake in this day and age of martyrs than the previous 1,900 years put put together. That's hard to wrap my head around sometimes. But nevertheless the protection of God to accomplish his purpose. When we are the stewards of the living God, here's what I know. God places security around me and provision around me as I am doing what he's guided me to do. And he will take, even if my life seemingly is cut short, he takes that for the furtherance of the gospel, just like he did the apostle Paul's life. We were look at a guy like him and think, what a waste of resource. Obviously he was an incredible preacher, church planter, had courage beyond measure, and was obviously a very gifted communicator to be able to do what God had him to do. And he lands in prison and then gets his life cut short by having his head locked off. That doesn't seem like good resource of human, of human resource by God, does it? But God used it to further the gospel, not only in the prison, but everywhere. But we measure things in a different way than God does, that's for sure. But here's the point. God placed security around them. And in verse 24, that he said, We also inform you that there shall not be a law, it shall not be lawful to impose tax or tribute or custom on any of the priests, the Levites, the singers, the gatekeepers, the Nethanimids, or the servants in the house of God. Anyone working in the temple, don't tax them. Now, this is not, time out, this is not your free space to say, I'm not paying my taxes. No, that's not a thing. Jesus told us to give to Caesar what Caesar, give to God what's God's. In this case, Artaxerxes is the one who put the boundary around and say, Hey, don't tax these guys either and place a burden on them. Leave them alone to do what God sent them to do. In verse 25, sanctify them, set them apart by the word. And you, Ezra, according to your God-given wisdom, what a statement from a pagan king. You have God-given wisdom, and he can observe. Take that wisdom from God and set magistrates and judges who may judge all the people who are in the region beyond the river, all such as know the laws of your God and teach those who do not know them. Ezra, you make sure to teach people in that room the way of God. Because even a pagan king can look back and say, the way of God's people, when they function according to God's law, that doesn't function like the rest of the world. They're set apart uniquely by the word of God. It's why Jesus prayed this priestly prayer before he went to the cross in John 17. And he said, Father, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Our lives are set apart by the word of God that we might live in a manner that would honor the Lord and it will look a lot different than the rest of the world around us who does not know God. In verse 26, and whoever will not observe the law of your God and the law of the king, let judgment be executed speedily on him, whether it be death or banishment, confiscation of goods or imprisonment. He put here a boundary that said, hey, these guys are here to teach and show the way of God perfectly. And if anyone rejects God's way, rejects God, judgment comes, is what he's pronouncing here. You know it's still the same? Even sitting in this room today, the grace and mercy of God abounds. The Spirit of the living God moves in this place among the lives of all of us Christ followers to help us understand the Word, to know how to apply and make reality of this. What do I do with this every day? The Spirit of God teaches us that. The Spirit of God draws people to the living God into relationship through His Word. But there are oftentimes those who hear the Word and say, I don't want to have anything to do with this. I don't care about Jesus. I don't care about His book. I don't care about God, and I am convinced He's real. And so when the rejection of God takes place, the judgment of God takes place as well. Now you think practically about this. God loves His Son. John chapter three teaches us: God loves His Son, and those who don't love His Son, the wrath of God abides on. Him. It would be a contradiction as a father who loves His Son to allow those who just reject His Son and scoff at His Son and care nothing for His Son to thou say yeah you guys are welcome to come live in my house too with my beloved son whom you care nothing for no
1: a righteous
0: holy god extends his grace and his mercy and his invitation to all whosoever will are invited into my place through my son you don't care about my son and he draws a line in the New Testament, in 2 Thessalonians, he said, In flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God, and those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, they shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord, and from the glory of his power, if God puts a judgment in order. You don't care about my son. You're banished and separate from God forever. But just know this. If you're sitting here this morning under the sound of my voice, God is inviting you. you sit, just keep, he's extending it again by His mercy. You're still sitting here today and not facing His judgment. If you've never received Christ, my prayer is that this day, this hour, you will receive Christ as your Savior and know with confidence that you have eternal life in Christ. And I told you this is a memoir of Ezra. We just read the letter from our exorcisms. And try to make light of an understand of that circumstance in our culture, in our Christianity. What do we do with that? As sent ones from the king. With the law in our hand. With our seven counselors, meaning the spirit of the living God. We are sent as stewards of God's stuff. We are sent with the security of God's power. We are sent sanctified, set apart by his word to be unique in this world. A specific mission and as Ezra recounts this I want you just to hear this because this should be our, our theme song it's a giving thanks to the Lord and recognizing how in the world did any of this happen? that I would be given a letter from a pagan king who would empty the bank account to finance ministry why would he do that this makes no sense the only way that makes sense is because God's hand was on the power of the living God. Verse 27 of Ezra 7 says, Blessed be the Lord God of our fathers, who has put such a thing as this in the king's heart, to beautify the house of the Lord which is in Jerusalem, and has extended mercy to me before the king and his counselors, and before all the king's mighty princes. So I was encouraged. As the hand of the Lord my God was upon me, and I gathered leading men of Israel to go up with me. Will you bow your heads with me? Ezra's theme, this whole story just ended with basically a give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. Is today the day God's calling you right now into a relationship with Him through Jesus Christ? If so, well, how do you do that? How do you become a Christian? Is it something you do? No. It's what goes on in your heart. There's a belief of the heart. That belief of the heart will then in action later, but it starts with the belief heart. The scripture teaches that when we confess the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we're saved. What are we just saying We are confessing that Jesus Christ is the Lord, and there is no other Lord, there's no other King. There's no one else upon the throne of my heart other than the Lord. We confess he's born. We confess him as Lord Jesus, believing in this man Jesus, who's the Son of God, who gave his life for ours on the cross of Calvary, the Son of the living God. We confess the Lord Jesus that he rose from the grave. Well, to raise from the grave meaning he went to the grave. How did he get there? Because he died on a cross, paying for your sin debt and for mine. But yet he rose from the grave after three days. Which, what does this declare? It declared truly he is God. Because only God can raise from the grave. It declares distinctly that the offering of sin has now been accepted by him. When Jesus died on that cross. So now I know my sin is paid for. I have forgiveness in the Lord. And I have victory over death and have eternal life in Christ. So how do I become a Christian? Do you believe what I just said to you from the scripture from Romans chapter 10? Do you believe the truth? And by faith call upon the name of the Lord. Today, if you already know you're a Christ follower, this is a day where we lay ourselves before the Lord once again. The Lord, I am your sin you called me unto salvation, and I responded to that as a volunteer by faith. And now you send me into this world with your words, with your stuff as a steward, with your security. And this is also a day where we come and just say thank you. Maybe there's people in your life that God wants you to interact with. There's ministry that God wants you to engage with. There's steps you need to take. The Spirit of God, those seven counselors, they speak right into your heart. Father, I pray that in this moment, Lord, you would draw us all close to you. Peel back the layers if there's sin in the way that Lord, that would give you peel back this morning. Lord, you would redirect our steps if we're getting off course. The Lord, you would receive our thanks and praise because you're worthy. And, Lord, those that may call upon your name this morning to be saved, that we know you hear that prayer of the lost man who's just asking to be saved. We know you hear that prayer. And I pray today for the confidence of salvation for everyone in this room, that we can walk in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and do exactly what you left us on this planet to do. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your great love for us, giving your life for ours, and may we give our life in return. In Jesus' name I pray these things. Amen.